Episode 83, The Rant. Garda Gatling, one of NYC's top basketball officials, from balling in the DMV, securing space at Stony Brook, and traveling in between in the pursuit of officiating full-time. The Rant pulled up to Brooklyn to speak to Gerda. In this pod, we discuss how she's forever indebted to one John Coulson, how she got thrown in the fire, how she leveled up in officiating doing crazy games in NYC, and how she became a staple in the women's basketball college circuit. All that and more, my conversation with Gerda, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Roar Organic. Everything your body needs, nothing it doesn't. There's a reason they say variety is the spice of life. And with their new organic line comes the following exciting flavors. Georgia peach, blueberry acai, cucumber watermelon, mango clementine, pineapple mint, strawberry coconut. Ah. Roar Organic uses a proprietary electrolyte blend created with organic coconut water, organic cane sugar, and sea salt. It's non-GMO, vegan-friendly, gluten-free, no artificial colors or flavors, no preservatives, and no artificial sweeteners. Just 2 grams of sugar and only 10 calories per serving. Visit Roar.land and use the code REFEREERANT, one word, in the checkout and receive 10% off your next purchase. That's Roar.land, code REFEREERANT. The Rant has been brought to you by the revolutionary product for referees and all professionals alike, Neat Tucks. What the tuck? Traditional shirt stays have been tried and true, but never accounted for those professionals that have shorts as uniforms. What do you do when you officiate soccer or lacrosse or even basketball in the summer? Don't forget about baseball umpires, too. Enter Neat Tucks, which come in style and active versions. Don't get it twisted. You can even wear them at your 9 to 5, too. Listeners of The Rant can visit neattux.com and enter the coupon code REFEREERANT, one word, and receive 20% off your initial order. That's REFEREERANT, one word. Happy tucking. Welcome to another edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph Brecht. I'm with a special guest, former Division I Stony Brook University basketball player, um, also a women's collegiate official for Division Three, Two, and One. Gerda Gatling, how are you? Good, how you doing? I'm good. So what led me to this young lady was um, I heard a couple of people talking to her, uh, mainly um, people that were previously on the podcast, Desmond Frazier, Sinead Bernard, um, Stephanie Barks, they also mentioned her to me. So, um, and also Ish mentioned that she knew you. So um, that was cool that we had the whole connection. I saw that you was dripping on your Instagram page, so <laughs> I figured that you'd be an interesting per- person to speak on. So I appreciate um, that love. I appreciate that. Welcome to the show. Uh, so let's go all the way back. Um, where are you from originally? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school? What did you play in high school and college as well? Okay. So I'm from Woodbridge, Virginia originally. So that's in Northern Virginia, also known as the DMV. I got to represent for us at Woodbridge. Growing up, I played, I started with soccer. My dad is African-American and Dutch, and he grew up in Holland for the majority of his life. So we had to start with soccer. That was like automatic then I started playing basketball when I was seven, just like watching my dad and my cousin, uh, my older cousin, play at the park. Like that was like something I always wanted to do was play basketball. I think I did ballet for like a hot second, but I was just terrible at it. So, and basketball was definitely like a cheaper option for my parents as well. So I played basketball, elementary school, middle school, and high school. And then in high school, I also ran track all four years mm-hmm. as well. What what did you run? Did you run uh, more middle distance or, or sprints? Yeah, I was a middle distance runner, uh, 400, 800. was all state back in my day. Yeah, I had a pretty good track career as well. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your high school exploits. Uh, <laughs> did you get deep into playoffs and, and state championships around the DMV area? 
Yeah, so I went to Forest Park High School. We've had a couple great athletes come out of Forest Park. Me not being the best one, but, you know, um, Allie Krieger, she plays on our women's national team. She went to Forest Park. Monica Wright, she was in the WNBA um, for a good amount of years and is now coaching at UVA. Um, she also went to Forest Park. Mm. Yep. Wow. After that, what was what was college like? And, and did you have a just a bevy of offers and you were weighing your options? Did you want to stay home? Did you... So I forgot to mention, we did win a state championship when I was at Forest Park. I won some, and I lost some state championship. At that time, we were pretty good in the state of Virginia. And then, so when it was, came time for me to go to college, I did, I wanted to go far enough that, like, I, my parents couldn't, like, come and see me quickly, but not, not so far that I had to, like, hop on a plane across the country, if that makes sense. <laughs> So, um, so enough time to prepare that in the event that they were on the road, I could, you had yeah. enough time to just yeah. get all I just ready. Didn't, so my dad was a, he was a very much like a pop-up type of dad. So I'd be like, hey, I'm at this park playing basketball. I blink my eyes and he'd just pop up. So I wanted to give, yeah, I wanted to get a little space from that. So I, um, I went on a couple of visits to like schools that were like in the surrounding area. I had um, really wanted to go to this one school in West Virginia, of all places. It was uh, Marshall University. I went on a visit. Um, I'll be honest, my left hand wasn't that strong. Mm. And, um, you know, the coach decided that, like, I just wasn't really great for the program. I needed to work on my left, et cetera. And I was, like, devastated. I think I'm pretty sure I cried, like, the, the whole flight home. You weren't like, yo, I'm willing to work on my left? Or <laughs> no, I was like, oh, like, I, I, can do, I can play here. Like, what are you talking about? But he was like, you know, maybe JUCO, and I was I was a good student, so I was like, I'm not gonna go to JUCO. Right. Um, I didn't want to place my collegiate strictly into JUCO because of basketball, so I was like, you know what, other schools love me, I'll go somewhere else. Um, I ended up taking a visit to Stony Brook University like late. They kind of came to the picture late off a recommendation, funny enough, from the assistant that was recruiting me at Marshall. I was like, all right, Stony Brook, never heard of it. Took the trip up to Long Island. Uh, was considering, like, local schools in the DMV at the time. Mm. Took the trip to Long Island. Never had been to Long Island. Ended up just, like, kind of liking the campus and loving, like, my teammates or what would be my teammates at the time and ended up signing. Mm. So I guess before we even talk about the uh, the collegiate career, um, I'm interested to your experience with Long Island when you first came because mm-hmm. that's where I'm from. Um, it's a little bit different in Stony Brook. Smith Haven Mall is probably the only thing that's popping. yeah. Um, and, and probably the, the, the medical schools pop in there. And yeah. what I really do enjoy about Stony Brook is their diversity yep. and how much they embrace um, people of color. So, mm-hmm. you know, just talk about your first experience about Long Island and, and, and I guess just go through your, your whole career at Stony Brook. So for me, like, it was big to, being from Virginia, where we have big schools like UVA, Virginia Tech, et cetera, where these are, like, popping campuses it was important for me to have like a big campus feel mm-hmm. so I didn't really want to go to school in the city I wanted to make sure I had a campus feel because that's kind of all I knew growing up in Virginia so Stony Brook checked that box and it was like a top 100 school in the country so check that box I'd get a good degree um the diversity is this you have people from all over the world there honestly and um that's the, I think that really kind of symbolizes what New York City kind of is. Mm. Um, though the Suffolk County characteristically is, like, not that diverse, but at Stony Brook, it's like, it's like a melting pot of 
people from, you know, we got people from Africa, Central America, South America, Asia, U.S., you know, obviously kids from the city, and then they're all working there and, like, getting their education there, which is really important. And then I experienced, I learned about so many different nationalities and, like, places I wouldn't have probably learned about this going to Stony Brook. Mm. So it was it was really cool. And, like, I think my teammates also that were from out of state felt the same way. They didn't really know. It's about the various different time of type of like like Latinx students like we like the stuff like that we wouldn't have learned if we stayed in our respective states that's because the diversity might not be as vast Mm -hmm. so so I also understand that like you know you're coming from a place in the DMV where you know those division one schools are popping you know what I mean like UVA is popping VTech is popping all of that stuff is popping back in Long Island it doesn't really feel the same way so you know I wanted to know what your experience being a division one athlete uh, on long island is because you know for us it's like oh stony brook is playing hofstra that's not something that we are all excited to get yeah. to but i mean if it was vtech for virginia literally the whole dmv's up in the building yeah so it was so it was tough right because like even our mid-majors in virginia like i'm in high school when um or maybe high school or middle school when like george mason goes to like sweet 16 VCU goes to the Sweet 16. Like, I'm growing up in that area where, like, all right, these schools, like, our mid-majors are even popping. Do remember Hampton, too. They yeah, were popping Hampton at the time, popping. too. Hampton was popping. Like, everybody was, every, Virginia was winning right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. So, um, for me to go to Stony Brook, it, like you said, it is a lot different. Um, you know, and the main sport is not, like, a football or basketball. The main sport is lacrosse on Long Island. So, um, whereas, like, the high school I went to, like, lacrosse, we had a good lacrosse team, but it definitely wasn't our main sport. Like, right. in Virginia, we're, uh, we're de- very much a football and basketball state. Um, and then, like, lacrosse is probably third, realistically. It was different. It took us some getting used to. I was blessed to have one of my teammates, Sam Landers. She um, was from Northern Virginia. That came. We both were the same year. So we kind of, like, were able to bounce, like, those frustrations mm. off each other. But definitely... Um, I think the best part is that with, with the AD they have now and the AD that we had back when I was in school is that they were really looking to make that 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 athletics feel a real thing for the universities on Long Island, both the Hofstra and Sunnybrook AD. So that was like pretty dope. Is that like we like to have not have a rivalry is like it's tough. Mm. You can't really push athletics with no rivalry. So. When they really started building up that Hofstra Stonybrook rivalry, is was something that like people on Long Island were able to get into and like really kind of like get excited for. Whether mm. it be basketball, I mean, obviously Hofstra doesn't have a football team anymore, but like lacrosse, like stuff like that. Every sport, they're trying to really build that that rivalry up. So, yeah, it was a, it was a great like learning experience to be in that building block blocks of that, but definitely different. Mm. Word. So you know, after college now. Um, it's really hard to get that fixed, especially when you have been playing all your life mm. and you've won, you, you, you won and you lost some state championships. You played Division One basketball. Then what's next for a basketball player? The pros go overseas. Where were you in, in terms of the prism of basketball? So for me, I knew I wasn't – I knew I didn't want to go overseas. I know a lot of my peers, whether it be people I grew up with on the women's and men's side, like they, that's their main goal. But that for me was never my goal. I just for me, I don't think I would I would have really like lasted overseas too long. Mm. Even though like like I said, my dad is is Dutch, my mom is Nigerian. Like naturally, I should be able to do great, but I think I would have been a little homesick. And that's good that you knew that about yourself because sometimes you don't want to find out when you know you're in the bowels of Turkey and you're like, you know what, this is not for me. Yeah, like yeah. I didn't know that it was Ramadan today. Yeah, yeah, I can't. Yeah, 
nothing's open. But um, <laughs> yeah, for me, I I wanted to prove to myself. It's gonna sound a little corny, but I wanted to really pr- prove to myself that I could like excel in something outside of basketball. Mm. Like I graduated early from Stony Brook with a, a double degree in business and economics, and I was like, all right, like I'm gonna go into finance. You know, that's what I'm going to do. Like, I really want to prove to myself that, like, life isn't all about basketball, though it has been up to this point. But, like, you're not just a basketball player. Like, you have other skill set, and um, it's time to go explore that. Mm. Yeah. So, concurrently with that, you know, I want to go backtrack and talk about, you know, a little bit more about your, I guess, your athletic career up from to the point that you graduated college. What was your perception of officials growing up, you know, just going through <clears throat> the rec and then high school and then in college because you know if you're doing state championship you're playing state championship games and and you're also you know playing in in a division one mid-major school you're getting creme de la creme refs so what was your perception growing up with referees what was your relationship with them i'll admit that i was pretty terrible with referees yeah this is embarrassing but like i was um i was definitely the the type of player and this might have been simply because I wasn't the most skilled. Mm. You know, I was I was a hustle player. I can I can give you like in high school, I can average double double college, I can give you, you know, like third best player of a yeah. great team. Fourth best player of a great team. But um I'm definitely not the star. So, you know, when you're not the star, every missed shot is now the referee's fault. Mm. <laughs> no, I was definitely a person that was yelling at the referees or like kinda of giving them a little attitude. Which I kinda of grew out of like in college. In my youth, that's definitely who I was. Unfortunately, I'm sorry to all those rest in Woodbridge, Virginia. But also, like, I mean, my dad started refereeing when I was in high school. So I kind of would, like, go downstairs and, like, see, like, a bunch of refs in my my basement. And, like, you know, you know how us refs do? Like, we'll sleep over each other's house and do a tournament. And, like, I never really understood it. I thought it was, like, you guys are weird. Like, <laughs> yeah, you guys wish you could play ball. <laughs> yeah, you guys are losers. <laughs> no. Nah. Um, yeah, I never really understood it. And, like, in, in that time, like, me and my dad really weren't that, like, as strong a relationship that we have now. So I never really, like, took the time to really ask, like, what are you, mm. what are y'all doing down there? Right. Looking at film. <laughs> right. So, um, so yeah. it, it comes full circle. And, you know, I, I say this time and time again about refereeing. We all stumble upon it because, you know, when you think about it, the totality of playing ball, I know I played for a long time. You know, I stopped this game when I was around 32 years old. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's like, you never think of it as the last, well, you do think of it as the last option, but for some reason, there's like these these conspiring forces that make you go, you know what, I'd consider that. Yeah. What, what led sure. that to, to that, uh, what informed you to that decision? I, so I didn't think about refereeing until a couple years out of college. I had a friend, actually used to live here in Brooklyn, and um, she was from the area, played at Christ the King, and I, um, we were hanging out, and I was like, man, I just need to, like, I need to make some extra money. Like, I'm not from New York, I'm living in New York, I'm paying this high rent, I got my car, I got car insurance, I, I, I mean, though I have a good job, but it's not cutting it, okay? I need to make some extra money, um, I need to just, like, kind of get out and do something on the side, and, like, meet other people, because I'm not from up here. She was like, oh, like, you want to ref? I'm like, yeah, I can do that. Like, whatever. Just like that. <laughs> I can I can ref. And um, she introduced me to John Colson. So I took John Colson's class in the fall. That must have been fall of 2015. And it literally just started, like, simply off, like, just, like, hanging out 
um, with with like a friend that I used to play. She also played like she played at USF, making some extra money on the side. That's really all it was. So she introduced you to John, and then the rest was yeah. Like John, um, I'm I'm lucky in the fact that John really looked out for me to being that I'm not from up here in New York. He really like kind of held down a couple times where like I didn't. I mean I didn't know nobody in the referee business. As we all know, it's hard to kind of like break in. We don't know anybody. You got to, it's a lot of navigating that goes on. Yeah, I would say like he really like gave me, he definitely gave me my first start mm-hmm. with the zero experience I had. So we'll get to your first game experience, but I did want to find out um, how funny did your father think about it when when you you stumbled upon this uh, unexpected occupation that he shared with you. Man, I don't even remember, like, the first time I told him I was doing it. I think I kind of kept it from him for a little while. Because you were like, I, was, I don't want to tell him that. But. Yeah, like, I don't want to. Man, that was, like, that was corny. That was something y'all did. Yeah, I kind of kept it from him for a little while. But, like, through refereeing, we've become closer, honestly. Like, basketball has always been, like, our thing and sneakers. So, like, I think if we didn't have, like, basketball, sneakers, and refereeing, like, we probably wouldn't even, like, really discuss much. <laughs> and that way, I'm also blessed that, like, I started refereeing because we had, like, a little bit more to talk about, like, mm. kind of, like, have that, that father-daughter relationship. So, mm. yeah. John is always mentioned on this podcast, and he always gives people a shot, especially when they're not ready for the real fire. Yeah. But, unfortunately, the the house is already burning, and you really have no choice. So, what was your first experience doing a John Coulson game that he assigned you? I think my my first experience, official experience, was like um, at the bedside sty dome, and um, I was doing like maybe like eighth grade or like ninth, tenth grade kids, just running up and down the court. You know, former athletes, so I was just running. So you you were trying to you were trying to beat them. You <laughs> yeah, were winning the race. Was two person. I forgot who my partner was, but I remember for the first couple of games, I definitely didn't have the proper pants. Um, thank God it was short season because it was like in the fall and it was wrecked, so it was perfect. And then like a month later, he threw me into the fire at Gauchos mm. for their Christmas girls high school tournament they have, and they always have like a, a good amount of like girls teams from out of the area in the area, just like solid talent. And yeah, I mean, I probably messed that game up. So <laughs> I, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, he definitely threw me out there prematurely. But I, hey, I got out alive. I didn't ruin my referee career, <laughs> and here I am. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you got more emboldened after those experiences of getting thrown in the fire? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think with refereeing, there, I mean, there's only but so much preparation you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you prepare up until a level, and then you got to get thrown into the fire, and then that's kind of how like you level up. And then like, all right, this is what I gotta do now. Like now, I know that if I say this to a coach or if yeah. I'm too late stepping down into this shot like in this type of game I'm dead Mm. so it's like when you're not in the fire your growth kind of gets stunted or stagnant in my personal opinion so like by John constantly throwing people in the fire especially early it helps propel their growth even faster than it would have been if they would have done the basic like hand holding that other other um traditional ways might go about it Mm. and this is something that I always mention on my show too is that um I find refereeing akin to surfing so you know first the, the first foundation of, of of surfing is is being bold enough to be able to swim because you already know that the waves are going to chew you up yeah but then you start thinking about okay these are medium waves mm-hmm. but then you see a master with some big waves from hawaii mm-hmm. and they just they just surfing killing it killing it and you're like man i can't even do 
the medium waves <laughs> proficient. But this dude is not only doing the biggest waves, but is doing it with style. So I guess what I'm trying to get at is, what was that moment when you started feeling like, you know what, you see people ahead of you mm-hmm. and you're seeing them, you know, being so pristine with their mechanics and they understand the rules and it's like, you know what, I want to start taking this as serious so I can get to the point that I can do these games. What was that moment for you? Man, um, so <laughs> um, I know you mentioned Sinead earlier on the, on the podcast in the opening, but when I first started refereeing, I was like, I was in, went to Brownsville somewhere uh, with my friend at the time. I was just watching or something like that. But anyway, I saw Sinead work. I was like, damn. I'm like, oh, her shit is tight. Yeah, I felt the same way when I met her. I was like, all right, like, you got to hit the drawing board because you got some work to do. Like, like her, it, it was just like she had an air of, of confidence. And, like, it was just, you know, everything was kind of, you know, it was very tight and kind of was, it was very inspiring because we're around the same age. Mm-hmm. So it's like, all right, like, if you just put the work in, like, you, you can also get to that point as well. And I remember that was the first, like, time I was just like, oh, like, like, this is, like, there's more to this than this, like, calling a travel or calling a foul. Like, you kind of have to have a little bit of a swagger to you. Like, the way in which she was officiating, like, really just stood out to me from that, like, that day. I, I remember that day very vividly, and I was just like, oh, like, I don't even think I really talked. when I, I was just like, wow, she's really good. Right, you were just kind of going about your business, make sure you don't get chewed, and then you see somebody like not only doing it but like orchestrating it, like it's a, like yeah. a conductor, like yeah. like you know everything stops, you know. And I had a similar situation with her in federations because we both got picked this uh, this year go around for the high school, and um, you know she was doing a game, and I got a pleasure to watch her, and I was like, man, I got to get back in the lab. I felt like <laughs> I felt like Jay Z listening to Biggie who shot you, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm getting shot. While I'm listening to this song, and, and you know, I, I mean, I, I feel like I'm good, but that can go further, right? So, right. you know, after that moment, um, what were the steps that you took in order for you to get to, you know, now I, I, I feel like I'm leveling up and I'm, and I'm at the right trajectory and, and, and not skipping steps? So at that point, for me, it was still about, like, just getting more games, right? Because, like, I really started, and I... <laughs> I mean, people don't like to admit this, but a lot of people start just to simply make some side money. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm gonna, I'll keep saying like that's that was really like where my mind was with it. Like I wasn't even thinking about college. I wasn't thinking about like NBA or anything like that. I even though like the trajectory to get to those things, like I was still just kind of like the local ref that started. Like, Gauchos is far. Like, let me find something closer to where I live. That's, yeah. like, your mentality? <laughs> yeah, no, I had a car, so I can make it up to Gauchos. No problem. I just got to take the uh, the FDR, so I don't pay a toll. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, like, I'm still, like, thinking, like, all right, I got to get better so I can get more games. I got to get better so I can get more games. Because right now, I'm in the point where I'm calling people for games. I want to get to the point where people are calling me for games. So how do I do that? I got to, like, kind of, you know, I got to I gotta pay attention more to the book. I got to get in the rule book. Like, I got to, I gotta like, network more. Um, I have a, my professional background was finance, so, like, that's all about networking. So I'm like, all right, how do I network? Like, you got to go out to some more games, too. Like, no one knows you're a referee right now. So you got to kind of pop out to some referee um, events, like, whether it be, you know, a tournament at Boys and Girls down the street or you might need to drive to, like, Dykeman and just, like, mm-hmm. pop out and like with some other referees and you'll you'll just naturally be introduced to other referees but definitely was like getting more into the rule book at that time my first couple games i probably had barely cracked the rule book if i'll be honest i was like i'm i've played 
all my life. I know the rules. Clearly, I didn't know the rules. Like, <laughs> I know what to get away with. Yeah, I know where the technical foul goes. Like, I got a couple of those. I know. I remember where the ball goes. Like <laughs> From the technical fouls that they called on yeah, you? Yeah, so yeah, I was doing it, like, the first, I would say the first month or two, I was probably going off that. I, I wouldn't recommend it, but um, that's usually how everybody kind of goes off. And then, like, slowly but surely, especially seeing, like, People like Shanae and other 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 great officials. I was like, all right, I gotta get my rule book. Like, this is this is gonna be instrumental to like the amount of games I get locally. Like, mm. I know my shit. So after that, you know, now that we're taking it serious, and now that all your ducks are in a row in terms of trying to get more games, what do you think was your first big break when now things started flipping? And I think now, I what I just coined, I think is, I think the big break is when people start calling you. Yeah. When it when it flips, because I I know that I think every referee knows when it's like you feel like you you you're not invited to the party. It's like where are you working? Oh, I got ten games. Where are you working? Oh, I got seven games tomorrow. I'm yeah, busy. I'm at and this I'm location like, for Florida. I got two over here, four over here. What phone number y'all be calling? They were like phone call. We don't make no phone. Call. They call us, and I'm like, what? When is that ever gonna happen to me? Yeah, no, for sure. Like, <laughs> and I was just like, yeah. So I'm out here grinding in New York, like. Trying to trying to support myself, honestly, I'm I'm at my job in finance, and I hate it. So it's not for me. I've gone to I was I went to from Morgan Stanley to Deutsche Bank, and now I'm at Bank of America, and I'm finding out that they're all the same. They just got a different name, same repetitive you know BS, same like having to be on the board for the Black and Latino Alumni Association for Sony Brook and we have a meeting that happens to be near my office so I can actually make it because I'm swamped at work so if had it been like downtown I wouldn't be able to make this meeting so I go to the meeting and we're talking about like initiatives on campus for black and Latino students I'm talking about initiatives for alumni and one of the women that is also on the board she works at the NBA and mind you I'm probably like this is aspirated at this moment and then she's like, oh, she turns to me like, oh, Gerda, what are you doing this weekend? I'm like, you know, reffing some games. Typical Saturday. <laughs> um, she was like, you rep? I was like, yeah, like this started like three months ago. She was like, oh, like we have this program at the NBA. Like we're, we want f- former college players who are interested in being refs. Like, would you be interested? I'm like. Yes, like I've been trying to leave my job like since yesterday. Like I'm literally trying to quit my job every day. Like constantly on Indeed. She was like, "All right, send me your ref resume." I was like, "Shit, I don't have a ref resume." Like, so I go back to my desk and I'm like, "All right, like what do I put on this referee resume?" I put like, I've done like thirty games. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, these are the fo- these the are the calls signer. these are the numbers that I've called before to get more games. <laughs> the signer I put like John Colson, like Utopia officiating. I think I put that out like a former player, like some other like foolishness that meant nothing. This sounds like a Craigslist type of uh, yeah, resume. It was terrible. And then I also sent my like actual professional resume that so she knew like I, I'm like that you're I'm a professional. Yeah. <laughs> I sent it over to her. I'm like, all right, God bless. Like hopefully I get an interview. She, was, she told me, like, you know, we're really kind of far along in the interview process, but I'm going to see, if not, maybe the next class. And I was like, all right. Like, I'm not thinking, like, I'm going to get an interview because they're pretty far along in the last stages. Well, so later that week, I get um, I get a, a call, invited me to interview 
for the referee development program that the NBA had just started. And I'm just like, oh, shit, I'm about to, I'm about to interview for a, like a position at, at the league, which I never thought I would work in. The rest was history. Like I went on the interview. I was literally the last candidate on the last day. I had a really strong interview. I was sitting in front of um, a lot of big wigs at the NBA, and I ended up found out about two weeks later that I got one of the, the eight spots in the referee development program. Mm. And that was like the moment where I felt like I, I like was on the right path. Mm. Like there was a path because before I was just kind right. of out here, but now I was like, oh, like there's like a path to this. Like this is could be a profession. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get the best training and. Like, I can no longer, I no longer have to go to a job in which I'm miserable at. So it was, it was a wild, like, turn of events, honestly. Mm. Well, at the same time, just from hearing your story thus far, um, I think a lot of the things that you positioned your way and, you know, you were at least, at the very least, prepared for the moment, right? So yeah. you seem like the type of person that, you know, as long as I got the key, I'm in the building. You know, like, even if I'm in the concert, I'm in the nosebleeds, I'm in the building. Yeah, and once I'm in the building, it just only takes a matter of time for me to be part of the party. For sure, I think people that that know me know that I'm good at I'm good at kind of like finessing. I hate to use that term because it usually has a negative connotation, but like once I'm in, like I can go from there. I can navigate from there. I just got to get a chance to get up in there. Mm. And for me, like essentially, like I'm like I feel like I'm forever indebted to John for this because without those like 30 or so games, that I probably like you know, exaggerated. Who knows how many I really had at the time if I wasn't keeping track. And be able to put that, like, I was, you know, under his tutelage. Who knows if I even get an interview? Because without that, I'm just a random person mm. without no experience or no, like, no showing of any desire that I even want to referee. I was forever grateful that, like, even my friend introduced me to him. And then from there, it just kind of, like, took off. Mm. So... I think I think that was like the turning point in terms of, you know, when I think of Sinead Bernard, I think about a professional. Yeah. And I think that's really the layers to this game. I think there's there's the ones that just are the side money kings. Yep. And not to say that they aren't professional, but they have different aspirations. Yep. But then when you start really, you know, being surrounded by people that have these higher ambitions, ambitions that you didn't even know existed. Yeah. You know, so having said that. You know, list other mentors aside from John Colston, you know, who they are, what have they done for you in your career? And, you know, how do you think they've shaped the way you feel and, and how you treat people after you now that they're seeking advice from you? Um, for me, I mean, obviously John, Hillary, Hartwell, she's somebody that I definitely lean on a lot for like, you know, women's college and is able to to navigate, is able to help me just navigate various different paths. John Butler, um, a pro guy. I met him. Yeah, he's a, he's a, he's always been a great resource, whether we send him film or even just being like a sounding board. Mm. Ray Bullock, funny enough, his dad he gave my dad his first start. So like, and Ray's a little bit older than me, but he's always like he's always been like a good friend. So when I started officiating, that was like the first person like within the pro system that I really kind of like like attached myself to, just to like ask questions and stuff like that. Tim Green. Um, he works women's college on W. Most recently, like Bernard, um, I just met Bernard this summer, and like even like having conversations with him as far as you know navigating and and the still places you can go with this game. He's like Abraham Lincoln, man. I tell you, like <laughs> yeah. one thing I want to say, shout out to Bernard. Um, he's changed my career as well, yeah. and he's really helped. He's been a friend of referee rent, 
you know, from the onset. But, you know, this one time, like, you'll just talk to him about, you know, I have this A and I have this in B. He's like, yo, you ever thought about K? Mm-hmm. And you're like, yo, not only is K killing A and B, I didn't even know that yeah, existed. Yeah, I didn't know it was a possibility. Like, time and time again, that guy. Yeah, no, Bernard's been amazing. I mean, I was obviously working at the NBA for the last three years. Um, I was able to break down film with Monty and just talk about, like, stuff off the court. Um, Monty McCutcheon, he's been great. Um, Al Batista, I mean, there's not a rule that Al Batista doesn't know. Mm-hmm. So if I just if I just know the rule, but even I don't know really how to apply it or, like, trying to figure out the scenario, Al's definitely the go-to guy for, the, for that. But there's a lot of different people. I mean, Tony Brothers... Somebody that I've also broke down film with, that are gonna be honest. I think the best, the, the what you need in a mentor is someone who's gonna be honest with you. Because without honesty, there's really no growth. You don't really need somebody that's gonna tell you like, oh, you're doing great, you're doing great, but you're not like, you're not reaching your goals. So you're, you're clearly not doing that great. You gotta, you, we gotta figure out a mentor that's gonna really like point out your flaws and um, be honest with you. And then like, all right, let's figure out how you need to, you need to get better. Uh, if you really want this, like you say, you want this, you need to get better in X, Y, Z. And that's what each one of those people are able to do for me. Mm. Do you think that they've given you a solid foundation and you kind of took a mix of all of them to help people after you? Yeah, I think I take something from each one of them. Um, I think each one of them have like their strong suits for sure. When I'm mentoring or like even like uh, like I worked at Magbo Camp as a clinician this year, just trying to like figure out what bits and pieces are kind of relate to the referee that's on the court right now mm. because I've had I've had instances where I've got information like being an RDP referee development program is like you're getting stuff through a fire hose and not all of it is going to apply to you right now because you're at point Z and they're at point A <laughs> so you kind of got to figure out and um, learn along the way like which what things you can now um, start adding to your game and like I think when you're mentoring somebody, you kind of got to know where they're at and then kind of take something that can help them at that moment mm. to help them level up. And then mm. once they hit that point, now we're adding something else. We can't talk about sequencing if you don't even know your mechanics. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> That's some really good advice. Um, you know, one thing I say is, you know, now that you're at this point, um, you know, sometimes people um, don't have the same, I guess, fortuitous bounces and those forks along the road that, that help them. And sometimes, you know, especially like as more time goes by and you have equity in this game, you start to realize people that started with you aren't getting the same breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, having said that, what kind of advice would you give somebody that's, you know, kind of toiling and they, you know, they can't even make their varsity list or mm-hmm. they can't even be seen in college? What, what kind of advice would you give them? I think we all have started with... Someone that, like, may be above or below, quote-unquote, us. And it's tough, right? Because you're, like, in this game, it's, it's we're still involved in sports, so you're, there's still natural competition. It's mm. like, oh, like, man, like, we started at the same time, but I'm not in XYZ conference or, or you know, damn, I should, I should be getting, like, 50 games, but I'm only getting 30 games. Or I should be on varsity, but I'm on JV. I think... I think um, the main thing is a mindset to this not not let that competition stifle your growth because I think we we naturally compare to others and we gotta like just take the time to really look at what we're doing internally. Um, I think first step for that is really just kind of like finding a good group, whether it be a mentor or just like 
friends in the business that you really trust that can give you that that feedback. But because most of us are coming from sports backgrounds in which we are learning together, so we're used to like collaborative learning. So when we're not collaboratively looking to learn and grow, that's when we kind of stifle our growth as well. Is because we're trying to do everything by ourselves. Mm. So I think that you know the the main thing, especially if you're not in an area with a lot of referees or you know people aren't really trying to hit the the peaks at which you're trying to go to, like definitely get it, like get in like a meetup, create a meetup wherever you're at, Um, create a Slack group. I'm in a a Slack group that's for um, female officials. You know, seek out mentors or even just like seek out this somebody that you can really like bounce ideas off of and really give you um, constructive criticisms for you to level up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're trying to do stuff by yourself is um, when you're going to keep getting the same results. Mm. And, you know, one thing I wanted to say is, um, you know, when you think about a, the mark and characteristic of a good New York City official <laughs> is somebody that does men's, women's and pro. Yeah. Um, out of those, um, what do you think about just in terms of, you know, really differentiating the rules and doing different things and different nights? And, you know, what do you prefer? Um and what are the challenges of just doing all all three? The challenges is like um, it's like if you're able to speak like French, Italian, and Spanish, like they all have similarities, right? But they're not the same language, mm. so you can kind of translate by just by knowing different things of each language. But then, if you mix them all together, no one's gonna know what you're saying. So. When you're doing these these various levels of basketball and everybody has to go through that, like you're not just gonna be able to get by just straight doing girls basketball or women's college basketball or WMA basketball, like you're gonna have to do boys. Um, I think when you're going through all that, it's just kind of like going through your in your head before you go into whether it be arena or a park, kinda of like kinda of say the differences in your head, like, all right, if we have this, this is where the ball goes and boys or men's they do this. I'm on a pro and game, game well, violations foul side out. Um, these are also the rules. Like, you kind of got to, like, do that self-talk. And for me, I do better when I do self-talk when I'm talking with my partner. So it's not really for my partner. It's more so so I can say it out loud and remember what I'm saying. And I always tell my partner that because I don't ever want to, like, offend them, make it seem like I don't, like, they don't know the rules. Like, it's more so because I need to make sure I know what, mm. <laughs> what I'm doing before I step on the court and mess this game up. I think this kind of like going over that before you go, and then obviously just having a good foundation of um, the rules. It's, it's over there in that pile, but like I have a like a rules chart of, of base like the the most basic or um, rules differences. So it's like all right, if I'm on the road back when I was you know in RDP doing pro and then doing women's college, and then I was also doing girls high school here locally. I just kind of look at the chart and let's like do a quick like a quick overview of what are these differences. All right, let's go. And then you're good to go, and you somehow have it subconsciously locked in, ready well, for that For night. the most part. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm perfect. I mean, there's t- <laughs> there's times where, um, man, I had a I had a boys' high school game where in boys' high school you call a timeout to get a new 10 seconds, and I didn't give them a new 10 seconds. I gave mm. them a 10-second violation. You know, I've had, I've had that happen, and I think that just... I mean, once it happens once, you know, it's not going to happen. It ain't never going to happen. And that's why I kind of <laughs> like it. And Stephanie always talks that to me, like, yo, just just fail spectacularly. Yeah. You know, because that way, it's going to be spectacularly embedded Ingrained. in your brain. It's yeah. never going to happen it, again. You can't. I mean, there's nothing you you can prepare and prepare and prepare, but everybody's going to make mistakes. The goal, as you continue to grow, is to make sure the mistakes become less and less. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, we can't be out here 10 years back and then you're still making the same mistakes you were in year one, two, and three. So, I mean, after I make a mistake, I really try to try to limit that mistake just because I don't want people to think that I'm not growing. And also, I don't want that, I mean, embarrassment, for lack of a better word, of making it again. And I don't want, you know, coaches and players to also have less faith in me that I don't know what I'm doing out here. Because they don't know, like, oh, like, and... and in women's college, that's a 10-second violation now. They don't they don't care, and they don't care where you were the night before. They care that you're messing up their game right now. <laughs> so that's, um. I mean, you just got to kind of keep reminding yourself of where you're at, but I think that that, um, that, that pregame self-talk or even with your partner before you step into a, a different um, set of rules is always helpful. Mm. So after everything that you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took? to get to where you are in this moment in time as a basketball official? Ooh. Aside from finesse, <laughs> something me and you share for sure. I think this, like, determination, right? Because, like, a lot of people say, like, especially with, like, the referee development program, we're all, we're all very blessed. Like, our first class is eight people, you know? And we're all very lucky that we were able to get two to three years of training at the NBA office with G League, WNBA, and NBA officials um, as people that we can call on and, and like, a, a abundance of resources. But it also still takes a lot of hard work, and, like, the reality is everybody at different levels is going to have pitfalls. So I think you kind of have to have that determination that, you know, just because you get a no from whether it be a conference or a league that you feel like you are ready for, that doesn't mean it's the end. Like, you got to keep going. Um, because the reality is very few people are going to get in on that first try. So it's like, all right, if you can't, if you can't get on the first try, you, you're not going to ref no more. Or you, or you just like, you're done with it. Then you never really liked it or enjoyed it in the mm. first place. You were never really willing to put the work in. You was only willing to put the work in for that short period of time because, um, of the quick success that you were getting, but now you hit a roadblock. So like, what are you going to do now? So I think for me, it's like determination, kind of like trying to like constantly rework in my mind. Like, what are you going to do now if you if you really want this like you say you want it? So There's that self-talk right there in real time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go in officiating? For me, I think it's going to take a lot of uh, consistency. I would say consistency for sure just because um, – I mean, without it, you can't really build upon upon your growth. So, like, being consistent, whether it be in the rules knowledge, um, reaching out to mentors, because mentorship is a two-way street. Um, that's something I know I, I got to do a better job at, um, just because I know I'm a very personal person. But when it comes to asking for help, uh, it's not my first go-to. And I just got to get better at that if I really want to exp- exponentially grow. Uh, so definitely utilizing my my mentors that have made themselves available to me. And just being consistent in the work I'm putting in, um, not getting down if um, the timeline doesn't equate to the original timeline that I had mm. for myself. Yeah, the, the words definitely is consistency, consistency for me. Mm. And where do you want to go with everything? For me, I definitely would want to um, become a full-time referee. So whether that's you know doing women's Division One college full-time, doing G League, NBA, WNBA on the pro level full-time, but I definitely want to be a full-time basketball official. Mm. Um, this being exposed to this, everything that basketball can do for you outside of playing or outside of coaching and now in a different realm has really kind of like 
put the the battery in my back, kind of like, ah, like, I mean, I, why would I not want to be an official? Like, you know, it's it's definitely a very um, exciting career. It's, you're going to get challenged every day. You're going to get challenged to be better at something every day. It's not a career in which you can sit um, at a desk and be mediocre or, like, do the same thing every day and expect to get different results. Like, you got to constantly better yourself, and I think that's the aspect that I really like about it that parallels to playing, like, you kind of you gotta constantly be getting better. Like you can't just be out here just working on your right and never working on your left. Mm. So, yeah. No, I think uh, for sure for me, just being a full time basketball official, be having the option that's only referee basketball would be amazing. Mm. Would you consider officiating any other sport? And if so, what would it be? Not really. I mean, I I know other people do it. I know for me, I mean, I do a great job messing up the. Uh, the rules that I have now, so I can only imagine if I were to add any other sports. I do admire, um, there are some females that are working, uh, or one that I know in particular that does Division One college and Division One women's, uh, Division One football and Division One women's basketball. Mm-hmm. So I thought, always thought that was really dope, but, um, yeah, I gotta stick to, I gotta get, I gotta get these rules down. Yeah, you gotta get better at basketball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Describe the most thickest situation that you ever had playing. And what is the most sticky situation that you've had thus far officiating at any level that you've done? Playing. Hmm. It's been a while. <laughs> so when I was in middle school, middle school championship, I'll never forget this day. I was playing against my best friend. Ugh. Two two rival middle schools. And guess who was on that game? My dad. Oh, my God. Yep. My dad was on the game. And, you know, I also ended up losing that game. <laughs> and uh, that was, like, one of the, the toughest games to play for me because, I mean, I wasn't getting any calls. It was my dad. Were you like, Dad? And then, like, I was just so, like, upset that I lost. Like, it was, like, it was a big game. Go- <laughs> in retrospect, it means nothing. Right. But you remember in, it, in though. That, in, that, in that moment, that was, like, one of the, the worst moments as a player for me. Did he drive you back home? No, we actually, we did not ride together. We did not ride together. What was that conversation like after you, after you saw him after the game? We didn't speak. We didn't speak. I kid you not, we did not speak. I was very upset. I was very passionate. Mm. That would be the word. Mm. But I was very upset. Yeah. I believe it. Yeah. And what's your, what's your most thinking situation as a basketball official? So many. But um, I'll go to this last season. I had um, a situation where... Teams playing in a different re- arena than they usually play in, and uh, this was a, definitely a learning experience for me. We ended up having a correctable error because um, the board, we're in the pro arena, they usually play in, the, in a college arena, but in the pro arenas, the, the board kind of goes around the arena. Mm-hmm. And I had, um, I'll take the blame for this, I had accidentally read the timeouts instead of the fouls, and we ended up having a correctable error. <sighs> ended up having a correctable error, yeah. I guess I say all I have to say is that um, when you first get into a new arena, definitely like just become familiar with where everything is at on the board, whether it's going around the arena, it's in the middle, whatever it's where it's hanging up. What the acronyms mean? Yeah, and like you know this, and also take your time. I think I was so like nervous, like being it was like my first game with this these two teams and all that that goes into your mind that I didn't and my partners were like vets like they were solid people worth it they worked the tournament I was so nervous to like take my time and actually like make sure I can read it like properly that I just was like oh like 
alright, like, we're good, that I didn't take my time to notice that we were in the bonus. Mm. That's on me. That's on me. I'm sorry. If they ever listen to this, that is on me still to this day. And they'll, they'll probably remember that, right? You know, I hope they don't. <laughs> I hope they don't because that means they've let it go. But, um, no, it's, it was a, definitely a learning experience for me. Just, like, take your time, communicate with the table, and just double check. We're in no rush. Mm-hmm. The people are going to go at the pace in which we're going we're gonna to dictate. Mm. Um, and having said that, what is the best moment that you've had thus far? Um, well, let's talk about what was your best moment as a basketball player and what has been your best moment thus far as a, as a basketball official at any level. Best moment as a basketball player. For me, I would say, despite all like the success, like especially amateur-wise, like in college, my best moment was um, I had a really great game on senior night. Yeah. No, that was pretty, like... You dropped nice. 40, triple-double? No, nah, not triple-double, but, like, I had... I'm pretty sure I had a double-double, like... My family was there. They'd never been to the game. So that was pretty cool. Showed out. Yeah. What's your best moment thus far as a basketball official? Um, hmm. I think it would be, like, definitely getting into, like, the, the five-digit division one conferences that I got into... Last summer took me by surprise. Obviously, like knew I put the work in. Was so shocked when I got all the conferences. So it was pretty cool. So I, I, I really thank um, the signer for giving me the opportunity for that for sure. Mm. Yeah. I feel you. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm still, I'm still small peanuts. I'm, I'm in two cups. <laughs> so I'm, um, you know, I look forward to doing some games with you at some point. No, for sure, for sure. Whenever man. that is. Um, this hey, has been great. It's all Yo. about timing. Yeah. Man. It's all about timing. You had a lot of jewels. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, any final words you want to say before we part ways? No, I mean, this is this is a great opportunity just to speak and tell my story. I think the podcast is a great, a great phenomenal idea, and I think it's going to be a, a really useful resource for officials down the line and even now. So, yeah, we talked about what you're doing. I appreciate it. I, we talked off air about just like how, you know, this is the game within the game. And, and, you know, to me, this is more of a lifestyle like people can relate to. And, you know, just how you talked about how, you know, you just came up from the DMV and you had you were either listening to hip hop or you're listening to podcasts. So, yep. you know, I appreciate that you've listened to some episodes and it's going to be a pleasure and honor uh, that I'm able to share your story and publish this. So awesome. Uh, I look forward <laughs> to it. Thank you for having me. Word. So for Gertie.